Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for that time of worship uh, through music. And uh, just as Micah said, we are now transitioning to worshiping through God's Word. We are continuing our series in the book of 1 Kings uh, called A Royal Mess. And I am excited that our kids' pastor, Will Washburn, uh, will be bringing the message today. So if you've got a Bible with you, whether it's a paper copy or a digital copy, if you would like to turn uh, to our passage, this is 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, it's 1 Kings chapter 17, and we will be reading the first 16 verses. Uh, starting with verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve... There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil with a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We are thankful uh, that it is useful for teaching and correction and rebuking and training in righteousness. And so, Father, at this time, we pray that you would speak uh, through Pastor Will as he comes, that he would be your mouthpiece, and that for us, that we would have hearts that are ready to hear truth and wills that are willing to obey what you would have us to obey. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Will Washburn, as Pastor Kevin said, and I serve as kids pastor here at Northway Church, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity to share with you this morning from God's Word. 
As he said, we're going to be in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, but we do need to look back at 1 Kings 16 before we get started. And so last week we looked at 16 and we saw how Israel, the nation of Israel, was turning from God through a progression of kings. And it tells us that each king did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we get to the final king of the list, and that is King Ahab. And what it tells us in God's word is that Ahab did more to arouse the anger of God than any king before him. It says that he did more evil inside of God than any other king. And so Ahab, with his wife, Queen Jezebel, have brought the worship of a false god into Israel. Not only have they brought it into Israel, but they promote it with the building of temples and ritual worship and all kinds of um, worship to a false god, to this idol Baal. And so we see God's people, Israel, a people of a covenant with God, turn away from the one true God, Yahweh, and they're turning to, to Baal, to worshiping a false god. In other, other areas, they are worshiping in a way that doesn't honor God, where they still worship God, but they also worship Baal and have some mixture um, of unfaithfulness in their worship. And so that is the scene where our story picks up. And so if you will, look with me to verse 1 of chapter 17, and it tells us this. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So there are several things to note right out, right out of the gate with this first scripture, with this first verse. We see Elijah coming onto the scene without any background or origin story. He's pretty much a nobody, right? They don't tell us where he's from, his father, his lineage. They give no claim to Elijah's power or ability. Simply put, Elijah is one of us. In James, it will tell us, in uh, James 5, it says that Elijah is a human being even as we are. See, Elijah possesses nothing that is special or unique only to him. Elijah is a mere man. But what sets Elijah apart is that he has a trust in a supernatural God with supernatural power. And so Elijah comes onto the scene here in a time when Israel is, uh, has disunity in their religious practices. There is outright worship of false gods. They have strayed away from the one true God, Yahweh. And Elijah's mission is to prove that Yahweh is the true God. Even Elijah's name reflects this mission. Elijah translates to Yahweh is my God. And so what we'll see in the text today is that Elijah is coming onto the scene for a face-off. He is going to prove who is the one true God. Is Yahweh God or is Baal God? And if Yahweh is God, then is he the only God, the only God deserving of worship? See, these beliefs and this misunderstanding and this disunity in religious practices and beliefs about God is not something that we have moved away from as a culture. If you look at our culture, we are still greatly confused about God. We see people putting their trust in the universe and what they manifest for themselves. People will leave a room because the vibes are off, okay? So there are all kinds of misunderstandings about Uh, the spiritual things about God. We see people who claim to know God, but worship other idols, have some form of worship that is not true and faithful to Yahweh. And so the question today that Elijah will seek to answer, is Yahweh God? Is Yahweh the true God? And the way that he does that is very unique. I love how uh, Elijah seeks to prove God is God. He does that through his prayers. We're going to see in the text today that Elijah prays some major prayers. And what those prayers show us is what he believes to be true about God and the character of God. And so today I have four characteristics for you from Elijah's prayers. And what I want you to do, I want to encourage you to look at your own prayers and to think about how you pray. 
And how you pray, does that reflect what you say is true about God? So we're going to dive right in with our first point that you'll find on your message map. And that is this, that Elijah's prayers are in line with the will of God. In James 5.17, it tells us that Elijah was a human being even as, as we are. He prayed earnestly that it, it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Elijah comes to God with a major request to stop the rain and to bring a drought. And what we see in the text is that God answers that prayer. And so if you're like me, I began to wonder, what about that prayer is so special that God would answer such a big request? And one of the first things that I saw is that his prayer is in line with the will of God. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. See, the key to all prayer, but especially Elijah's prayer, is that it was in accordance with God's will. How do we know that it is in line with God's will? How do we know that any prayer is in line with God's will? Well, there are a few things that we can do to check that. A major one is, does it align with the Word of God? Is what you're praying aligned with what God tells us in His Word and Scripture? Another is, does it honor God? But there are two things that Elijah shows in his prayers that show that they're in line with the will of God. And the first one is this. When he comes to God in prayer, he recognizes his place. It's a good thing for us to remember today. We see in the first verse that Elijah comes before Ahab, and in his introduction, he elevates God and he humbles himself. He says that the Lord God of Israel is alive, that God of Israel is his Lord, is his master. He goes on to say that that God is the one that he serves. See, he's placed God as master and himself as servant, and that is where he begins his prayer. So are you coming before God recognizing your place? Yes, we come to God in confidence that he hears our prayer, but we remember that he is God and we are not. The second thing that we see Elijah Elijah do that is in, uh, in accordance with God's will with how he prays is that we see him prioritize God's will over his own pleasure and his own benefit. A very interesting thing to note about Elijah's prayer for the drought is he's not calling out some prayer to, or a drought to happen on some distant land while he stands with an umbrella watching the rain water his crops. He's calling down a drought on the land that he is currently residing in. We'll see later in the text that that drought uh, very directly and negatively affects Elijah. He's calling down a drought that will affect him in a negative way. And he does so even still because he knows that it is the will of God. He knows that if the drought comes, it will prove that Baal doesn't control the rain. And in doing that, God's people will see that and will turn back to him. He knows that that prayer is in line with God's will, that that drought is in line with God's will, and he prays that even if it will affect him negatively. Are you praying so much so that you are worried, more concerned with God's will than your own will and your own pleasure? We see this desire and this type of prayer um, elsewhere in Scripture, right? We see Christ in the garden before his crucifixion, knowing that suffering is coming, but what does he pray? Not my will, but yours. Why does he pray that? Because he knows that his death, his burial, his resurrection is in line with God's will. It's for God's glory, and it will bring God's people back to God. So we see Elijah pray a similar prayer within God's will to bring God's people back to him. So Elijah's prayer is in line with God's will, and the second point that we see this this morning is that his prayers seek to glorify God. So why would Elijah call down a drought on the land that he is living in, call for the rain and the dew to stop, causing a drought? Well, the first reason is that he knows that this is the means that God will receive glory, because it will show that God is the only God and that Baal is nothing. 
So in this culture, the idol of Baal was a god, a god of fertility, um, of weather and storm, that he would bring the rain to help the crops grow. And so the people would offer up a sacrifice to him to ensure that the rain would come down on the land and they would have what they need. And so Elijah's prayer to stop the rain is a direct challenge to Baal and to all who worship him. He is trying to prove that God alone is sovereign over all things, over the wind and the storm, that God is powerful enough to cause the rain to stop if he sees fit. See, as a, as a young kid, I spent a great amount of time with my grandmother, Grandma Betty, uh, because I was the youngest in the line of cousins and the youngest of three boys. And so all my cousins and brothers were in school, and I would go to Grandma's Betty's, Grandma Betty's house while my parents were at work and my siblings and cousins were in school. So all through preschool, she kept me. And then even when I was school age, from K-5 to 10th grade when I started driving, she picked me up every day after school. I can think of maybe like five times she missed, but other than that, she was there in the carpool line ready to go. So I had a ton of face time with Grandma Betty, observing how she lived and what she did. And a thing that I know and I saw was her prayer life. I saw her prayer journals, I saw her pray to God, and I would hear her pray. And one of the prayers that she prayed often, which as a kid I brushed off as trivial or kind of silly, but we would see the rain coming in, the storm clouds and the rain, and we could sit on her porch and you could basically see the rain coming in. And she would say out loud, thank you, Lord, for the rain. And then in the springtime, after the the winter, when the days are short and the darkness comes pretty quick and it's been cold, when she saw that first glimpse of spring and the sun was shining, you could feel that warmth, she would say, thank you, God, for the sunshine. And I thought those were kind of trivial things as a kid, but what I recognize now as an adult looking back is that she recognized who was in control of the wind, the rain, and the sun. She was giving credit where credit is due. She was saying, thank you, Lord, for these things because your hand provides them. And so that's why Elijah calls down this drought. He wants to prove that God is in control. He wants to show God's people that, yes, he is the one true God. Come back and worship him and give him glory. The next point in Elijah's prayers is this. Elijah's prayers are rooted in his trust in God. See, it's one thing to call down a drought. It's one thing to stand before Ahab and say, it won't rain until I say. But it's another thing to put that kind of faith and trust in action when things seem uncertain. And what we see is that Elijah in the next verses has the boldness to pray that kind of prayer, but also has the deep trust to follow whatever God tells him to do with obedience. His prayers are rooted in a trust and a belief in the character of God, And how do we see that trust played out? By his obedience to follow God's directions, wherever it may lead. So let's look at verse 2 of chapter 17 and see what it tells us. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with, with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. I want to to make note of verse 5. It says, he did what the Lord told him. He's not somebody that's just praying big prayers, but he is someone who is following through with the Lord's directions in obedience. Let's look at verse uh, verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow there was gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may drink? As as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. 
I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat and die. So what we see here is that God is calling Elijah to follow him to some unlikely places, to some unexpected places where he will provide for him miraculously. But Elijah doesn't know that that miraculous provision is coming. He just knows that he's being called to go to a brook in the middle of a drought, that food will come from ravens, a ritually unclean animal. And then he's told to go to another unlikely source of provision, a widow. See, the widow's position in the ancient world was not one of wealth and power. A widow was mainly dependent on the charity of others. They had no means to provide for themselves other than their family or their community. And so he's going to an unlikely source to find provision. Even beyond that, this widow is in Zarephath of Sidon, Jezebel's home nation. So God is calling Elijah to go to enemy territory to seek out the poorest of the poor to get what he needs. So it's an unlikely place to turn, but Elijah follows through with obedience because he's not trusting in the provisions, but the one who is providing. Growing up, my dad owned and operated a residential painting company for many years, which means that each summer of high school and college that I was a painter. And uh, I had the privilege of working with him in the, uh, the summers when I was in high school and then through college as well. And pretty soon on the job site, I got the, the title of skinny man. And um, I, what I've come to find out is that's not necessarily a good thing because the skinny man has to squeeze behind the toilet where the big guys can't reach. And the skinny man has to climb into the uh, pantry that's this big to paint the ceiling. The skinny man gets the jobs that nobody else can do. And one of the jobs on the list for the skinny man is climbing up the tall ladders because he weighs less, right? And so we, in the summer in Georgia, we were working outside painting a lot of exteriors, and those ladders would be fully extended, 40 feet in the air, and then another ladder leaning this way to ensure that we could reach the top gable of some three-story house. And skinny man had to climb up the ladder. And so on that first step, I'm looking up, and it looks sketchy. It looks very sketchy. And I'm thinking to myself, I need to eat a few more Big Macs, because skinny man is not the way to go. But I, you know, I had to climb up those ladders, and someone asked me, they said, do you, are you scared when you have to climb up those? Like, are you, st- every, I mean, you do it often as you kind of get rid of that fear or whatever. And I thought for a second, and I really wasn't scared to go up the ladders, even though they looked very sketchy. It looked like this is not safe at all. And the reason I had no fear in going up the ladders is not because I'm Superman, it's because each and every time that it was my turn to go up the ladder, my dad would move the ladder for me. He would set it up. And the other thing about that was that my dad would be at the base of the ladder with his foot on the rung, making sure that it did not move. See, my dad set up the ladder for me, and I knew that he was holding it steady. The same is true for Elijah. He knows who's setting the path before him, and he knows who will be with him every step of the way. So skinny man was fine going up the ladder because he knew he was safe in his father's hands. Okay? And so we see that in Elijah's trust. He's not afraid to follow through in obedience, even when it makes sense, doesn't make sense, even when it challenges his, his plan or goes against what would benefit him. He follows through because he trusts in the Father. Let's look at verse 13, and it tells us this. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as I said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, and there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. 
for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. We see Elijah trust in the ravens. We see Elijah put his trust in the widows because his trust was ultimately founded in God and God alone. And so we see Elijah call out to God in the beginning of this chapter with a giant request, but we see that he has the trust to follow through in obedience. He stays at the brook until it dries up and the Lord tells him to move. And he goes wherever the Lord tells him to go. See, I'd like to think that I'm that confident in God's ability to provide for my family. But I have to be honest with you, that trust comes a lot easier when there are two extra zeros in my bank account before the decimal place. That trust comes much easier when I've laid out a plan according to my ability and God just falls in line with it. That trust comes much easier when I know what's going to happen ahead of time. But that's not really trust at all, is it? And that's definitely not trust in God. That's trust in our finances, that's trust in our abilities, that's trusted in a well laid out plan. But we see Elijah puts his trust in Yahweh. And each and every time he does, Yahweh provides for him. He provides the meals at mealtime. He provides the flour and the oil when it's needed. He has a continued, continual trust in God's provision. Because what's interesting is that God provides for him incrementally, right? The ravens bring food for each new meal and just enough for that meal. God could have laid out an overabundance for the widow or with the ravens, but what he does is he provides each time. He's giving Elijah his daily bread, and we see Elijah continue to trust in him. In 2019, my wife Lindsay and I were getting ready to, uh, to welcome in our first daughter, our first little girl, Simri, and as the day approached for that delivery, um, we were very excited, expectant, and um, we had been discussing and had heard a lot of talk about having a birth plan. You need to have a birth plan in place so that you know exactly what you want and you can tell the medical staff and make sure that the day goes how you want it to go. So Lindsay and I talked about our birth plan, what we wanted, what she wanted, um, the things that were important to us. And as life happens, uh, nothing went according to plan. That's just the way of life. But so much so that my wife Lindsay um, ended up with some very, very serious complications after delivery um, from, from the delivery, but also from anesthesia. And those initial hours after delivery were very, very uncertain for us as a family and um, very scary for Lindsay. And I can remember we were, she was rolled out of, of the delivery room into some side room and doctors and nurses are coming and going and the delivery room nurse just brings me our daughter and hands her to me and I'm holding our daughter and my wife is laying beside me and I'm just trying to figure out what's happening. All of the uncertainty, daughters coming in, tests being run, and I know that I prayed during that time, but the, the prayers were short and scattered between me just trying to figure out what was happening, me worrying, me trying to figure out a plan, what is the next step forward. We found out after the fact from my father-in-law that he had called Lindsay's grandmother, Miss Edna, um, because he wanted to let her know that Simri had been born, but also that she needed to be praying for Lindsay. And uh, Miss Edna assured my father-in-law that I will be praying. <clears throat> he called her another, some other time, um, I don't remember exactly when, but just to check on her and to give her an update. And she told him that she had been praying so fervently with such concentration and for such an extended time that she had to lay down and take a nap when she got done. That she had been praying on behalf of her granddaughter so fervently that she was physically exhausted when she got done. Because she believed that God was powerful. She had placed her trust in him. What's beautiful about Ms. Edna's story is that's not just a one-time thing. She had a lifetime of prayer. She was a prayer warrior. But in that moment, she believed so wholeheartedly in the power of God and trusted in him 
that she gave all that she could in prayer on behalf of her granddaughter. She did that because she trusted in him and trusted in his power. Which brings us to our final point about Elijah's prayers. Elijah's prayers are confident in the power of God. God has provided for Elijah with the ravens. God has provided for the widow and the son and Elijah with the oil and the flour and things are looking good. And just when that happens, tragedy strikes. In verse 17, it tells us, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him in took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with, by causing her son to die. Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times and cried out to God, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Elijah again is praying an incredible prayer. He's praying for the impossible and trusting that God can do it. See, up until this point in Scripture, we don't really have a category for this type of miracle. We haven't seen anyone brought back to life. And so Elijah is praying a prayer that even today's standards seems impossible. But for us, we know that God is a God that can bring life from death. Elijah is praying this prayer without that foreknowledge. But what he does know is that God is the God of the impossible, that God is a God who cares about our needs and can meet them, and that God is powerful. And so he cries out to God on behalf of this boy that God would bring this son's life back to him. This is what it tells us in verse 22. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, and the word from the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Elijah's confidence in the power of God prompted him to pray an incredible prayer. And God answered that prayer in a mighty way, proving that he is the one true God, that he is a God that can bring life from death because he has the power to do that, and only he has the power to do that. God is alive, and God is the God of life. So Elijah's prayers and his life display what he believed to be true about God. He believed that God was the God of life. The beautiful thing is that God is still doing that today. Our God is still the God of life. Our God is still alive, bringing life from death, a death that is brought on by sin. So as as we wrap up today, as we look at Elijah's life, I want to ask you a question. Is Yahweh your God? Because the truth of the matter is, God is the God of the universe. There is no no other God, there's no other that is sovereign over all things. There's no other that is worthy of our worship. And if you're in this room today, I would venture to to bet that you believe that Yahweh is God. But my question is, Yahweh, your God? Because what we see is Elijah had a belief that Yahweh was God of the universe, but he knew in a personal sense that Yahweh was his God, that Yahweh knew him and cared for his needs. And he prayed in such a way that proved that belief. So the question today, is Yahweh your God? And if so, do your prayers and the way that you pray, does that fall in line with that belief? Do you approach the throne of God in confidence that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he'll do, and that his will and his glory are of the the utmost importance? If someone were to take inventory of your life and your prayers, 
would they, uh, the life of your life and your prayers, the boldness of your prayers and the faithfulness of your obedience, what picture of God would they have? See, from Elijah's prayers and his obedience, we see a God who is powerful. We see a God who knows him. We see his confidence in that God. But if someone were to take inventory of your prayers, what would they see of God? Because the woman believed and had faith because of the prayers that Elijah prayed and how God answered them faithfully. So I believe in many ways that our prayers reflect what we believe to be true about God, and they also indicate our trust in Him. In 1 Kings, it's made clear that God is the only God, that He controls the rain, that He provides for our needs, He hears our cries, and He can bring life from death. And He is still doing that today. It's the testimony of each and every believer. And uh, Elijah's prayers show that he knew that that God, that Yahweh was God, but importantly, that that God was his God. In James 5, 17, it tells us to pray like this. Uh, 13, excuse me. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well again. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. See, we are a people who are called to pray with faith and expectancy. We are a people who are called to call upon the name of, the God, of God for our small needs, our big needs, and believe and trust that He will provide for us and know that He will. But as a Christian, we can have even more confidence in our prayers because through the work of Christ, we are made right with God. We are no longer separated by our sins, but we stand in the righteousness of Christ because He paid for our sins and He reconciled us to God. And so now we can approach the throne of God in confidence, not in our own works, not our own righteousness, but, but we stand in the blood of Christ and his righteousness. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, God has provided for each of our needs, physical and spiritual. What we see today from Elijah is that he possessed nothing that we don't have within us, but he prayed earnestly that for God's will to be accomplished. He prayed to see God's glory displayed, and he prayed with trust and confidence in the power of God. His mission was to prove that Yahweh is God, and his life reflected that through his prayers and his obedience. And us today, we have even more reason to be confident because we come to God in confidence because of the work of Christ Jesus. So I want to ask you again, what does your prayer life look like? Do your prayers reflect your belief? And is Yahweh your God? <laughs>